Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Using an interview format, Pastor Bob will introduce you to men and women whose ministries are impacting this world with the gospel and will also provide commentary and insight on end-time prophetic events we now see happening in the news. Now here is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast for today. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming back to the program uh, Nathan Jones uh, for part two of our two-part interview on Are We in the End Times? Now, Nathan is the co-host of the weekly television program, Christ and Prophecy, with Dr. David Reagan. And if you missed yesterday's episode, you need to go back and catch up, because it lays the foundation for what we're talking about today. Uh, for those who... who uh, know this and some that may not. Uh, I have had Christ and Prophecy on our radio station, Evangelism Radio, since way back in 2000, late 2010, possibly early 2011. They have been constant contributors to our program, constant supporters, and it was my absolute pleasure to invite Nathan to come on and talk about Bible prophecy. Christ and Prophecy uh, talks about the soon return of Jesus and is sharing that around the world. Now, let's jump right back into our interview today with Nathan Jones. Now, Nathan, if the Bible is true, which we know it is, but that would also mean that the end of the Bible is true, correct? Absolutely. 100%. Uh, and, beginning. Amen. And we've been talking about the converging signs of, of the end times, and we can start by looking at the Mideast, especially Iran flexing her arms right now. What role does Iran play in the end times scenario? Iran plays a very major part in the end times scenario in what's called the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, if Iran plays such an important role, some people think that, well, maybe the United States and Israel should try and appease them and not make them angry. But the Bible's very clear that Persia is going to do what it wants and, and it plays an important role in the end times, as we just talked about Ezekiel 38 and Psalms 83 and elsewhere. Doesn't the Bible also indicate that Russia's going to basically team up with Muslim nations in attacking Israel? Absolutely. Matter of fact, Ezekiel 38 and 39 are two chapters dedicated to the prophecy of the Gog and Magog War, and it is the most detailed prophecy in all the Bible about end-time wars, even more so than Armageddon. And it prophesies that uh, is, uh, excuse me, Russia, led by a leader who's designated Gog, whether that's a person, some would say Vladimir Putin today if, if he's around at that time, or it's the name of a demon, will lead a horde or coalition of nations an attempt to destroy Israel, and that includes Turkey, Iran, all those stand nations, Somalia, and Libya, and those nations will form a coalition for the purpose of wiping Israel off the map after plundering her. Now, up to this point, Israel has had no resources worth plundering, but now that they have a major gas find and they can start competing with Iran and Russia for European oil and gas, Israel now is a direct threat to Russia. And as we've been seeing, Russia has been moving south, into Syria, and it's made coalitions with both Iran and Turkey, which before, historically, these nations have never been friends. They've always been enemies. Now they're friends, they have a coalition, and they have their eyes set on Israel, just as prophesied by Ezekiel 2,600 years ago. Amen, amen. And Ezekiel, even before I was born again, when I was taking college class, you know, you were required to take, you know, uh, introduction to the minor prophets and all that for the... uh, the degree plan I was on, and 
when I was reading and doing my study on the book of Ezekiel, and I did my little report and submitted it, the instructor was like, wow, this is really pretty good. There's a big understanding there. He said, I said, yeah, I love Ezekiel. That's probably one of the best things I've read so far. He goes, really? He goes, Ezekiel is hard to understand. A lot of people don't like reading it. I said, for me, it was my favorite part. As a matter of fact, what, uh, 10, 12 years later, when I was called into the ministry, the Lord used Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3 to call me into the ministry. So I guess there was that spiritual connection right there. So, yeah, amen. It can be difficult, but what's fascinating to me especially is that the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39 follow two earlier chapters, 36 and 37. Mm -hmm. 36 and 37 prophesy that Israel, a dead nation, of like, and they compare Israel to a valley of dry bones, yep. totally dead, totally wasted, will come back to life again. They'll get muscles and sinew and skin, and they'll stand as a nation once more. And then following that comes the Gog and Magog War. Well, we've seen Israel, a hundred years ago, there was no Israel. Matter of fact, you had to go up to May of 1948. Yep. Israel became a nation again, just as was prophesied in Isaiah 11 and it would stand on its own two feet. And the only thing that Israel's missing right now, because it's 85% secular humanist, is that they don't have a heart and soul for Jesus Christ. Now, the result of the Gog and Magog War, God will supernaturally step in, defend Israel, destroy, uh, with biblical proportions, fire, hail, earthquakes, turn the armies against each other, and then send fire on the nations of Russia, Iran, Turkey, and all, and destroy them, and the whole world will finally have to admit there is a God. Now, that is a, uh, an event where the focus of God's evangelism has been removed from the Church and put on Israel, so I believe that the Gog and Magog War is a post-rapture event. Mm. Amen. Amen. Now, you, you mentioned that the, the natural gas and stuff that was found, the, these resources found recently in Israel, that'll be the motivating reason Russia would have to team up with Muslim nations? Well, Russia right now, its entire economy is totally based on its gas production. It's mm -hmm. through the Ukraine and into Europe. Europe is, is, other than Norway, is pretty well dependent on Russian gas. And so a, a Russia trying to continue to grow, uh, that's, you know, Putin's strength is that he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union again, is making alliances with other gas nations like Iran and obviously their, their involvement in Iraq and now in Syria. And Russia is working its way south. It can't go east because china is there and it can't go west because the european union is there so they've been heading south and it's just as the bible prophesied that eventually russia's desire is to plunder israel as of just a few years ago israel had nothing worth plundering no gas no natural resources they they were wealthy in the way of their tech and innovation but not natural resources well these natural resources the leviathan gas find off the coast of israel will in a few months, be going into production. And as soon as that does, they're going to put a pipeline through Greece into Europe, and Israel is going to be a major competitor for natural gas to Europe. Well, what will that do to Russia? That will yeah. undercut Russia's economy, and Russia will have lose all its ability to form the giant uh, rebuild of the nation again. So mm -hmm. Russia very much wants to stop Israel from being a competitor. Yeah, and with all the sanctions going on against Iran and and you know, making it where they can't sell their resources to the world, uh, that would make sense for the two of them to team up. Absolutely. Well, Zechariah prophesied 
2,500 years ago that uh, Israel and Jerusalem in particular would become a, a fire pot amongst the... <laughs> uh, it'd be a, a thorn in the side of the world. The yeah. entire world will focus on it. And, and you and I have, have watched this happen over the years. Uh, the United Nations is absolutely obsessed with a country that's mm-hmm. smaller than the state of New Jersey. Right, right. And they spend all their time coalition. And it's, the Bible prophesied that in the last days... All the nations would come against Israel. We're seeing that today, obviously, under President Trump, the United States is not, and some of our allies. But under the Antichrist one day, all the nations of the world will be against Israel for the purpose of destroying Israel in the attempt to thwart God's plan through Israel to bring about his kingdom on the earth. Man, let's talk about North Korea and the trouble there and in China. How does the Orient play out in Bible prophecy? Well, the Orient actually is not doesn't become a player until near the end of the seven-year tribulation. Now, you got to look at the world geopolitically, because a lot of times people will take the way the politics and the nations are arranged today and assume that's what's going to happen in the tribulation. Well, if the Gog and Magog war happens at the onset of the tribulation, I strongly believe it does, that will knock out the Middle East and Russia from being a world player and likely gut the religion of Islam. Israel will become a larger nation, a superpower, and if the rapture, of course, happens before then, that would remove the Christians from the West and, Mm -hmm. which most people underestimate, China. China has a tremendous Christian population. So you would see the United States and and the East collapse from the lack of people and the chaos. (laughs) That leaves one superpower standing, and that's the European Union. And Daniel, in Daniel 9, prophesied that the Antichrist, this one-world ruler, would rise out of the European Union. He would then make a peace covenant with Israel, not so-called, as as many believe, to give Israel uh, peace, per se, but to protect him and his empire building from the God who defends Israel. He will then conquer the world, and then he will have his time to focus his attention on Israel. Uh, He will become obsessed with killing the Jews and the tribulation saints. The world will be racked by God's 21 judgments, and the ten kings that rule under him will start to rebel against the Antichrist. We read in Daniel 11 how the Antichrist has to put down a rebellion over from the king of the south, which means Africa. But then he'll hear trouble coming from the east as the kings of the east start marching towards Israel to fight the Antichrist and his armies. And that's where we see a resurgence of China in the end times, that, that China will be part of this coalition of kings from the east, Japan and the other Asian nations, and they will march across right up Euphrates River, as the um, bowl judgments prophesy, and march into the Valley of Jezreel, which we call Armageddon, right. and begin a civil war with the Antichrist. And Satan does this, strangely enough, to bring all the nations together into the Valley of Jezreel in anticipation of Jesus' return from the heavens so that those armies can fight Jesus. Amen. Amen. So basically, the geopolitical landscape is being prepared right now to turn against Israel, right? Absolutely, yes. Uh, Well, I mean, we see the world pretty much turn against Israel right now. The UN seems obsessed with putting one restriction or one Mm -hmm. uh, denouncement of Israel after another. It's the satanic forces behind the the governments Mm -hmm. of this world. Yeah, amen, amen. Let me ask you this. The United States and Bible prophecy, you just alluded to it a minute ago. You know, I believe since we're not really mentioned that we're probably not a power player in these la- in those last days. And in your studies, 
how do you see the United States playing out? Uh, doesn't the Bible indicate all nations have turned against Israel? That would include the United States. Absolutely. That would definitely include the United States. At some point, the United States will lose its power because it's not in Bible prophecy. It'll lose its authority, and it will become integrated into the Antichrist One World Kingdom. So the United States will stand against Israel at one point. Uh, the nation will lose its freedom, and it will lose its uh, control. It will probably likely be put under one of the ten kings, mm-hmm. who, uh, it's interestingly enough, the world has already been divided into ten regions by the yeah. U.N. Yeah. decades ago, and yep. the the basically the North American Union is on the plate there for Canada, Mexico, and the United States to become merged. And we see that today with all this mm-hmm. crying out from the globalists for open borders, they're trying to already merge the United States with Canada and Mexico, yep. and unfortunately, that is the future of the United States. Yeah, amen, amen. Uh, you just concluded your annual prophecy conference at the time of this report. What was your one major aha moment that you received during that conference? Well, our conference uh, theme was called Contending for the Faith. It was an apologetics conference. It was encouraging Christians to defend the faith. We had a lot of good speakers to come in and and give us uh, sermons to encourage us to go out and defend our faith and to equip us to defend the faith. And I think if that's any aha moment we wanted our audience to do is is to get excited about Jesus' return and go out. And that, that's one thing that knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back will do. It'll, it'll yeah. motivate a Christian for holy living, and it'll motivate them to evangelize. And so part of what we do here at Lamb and Lion Ministries is to equip people to go out and evangelize using Bible prophecy as an apologetics tool. Yeah, amen, amen. And just to get them excited about the Lord soon, is soon returning. You know, I remember when I was in the military, I was stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington. I was raised up in Michigan, and I was going to go home, take my family and I were going to go cross-country and, you know, spend a week with my grandparents and parents and all that back in Michigan. And, you know, we, I told them, estimate, oh, this is back 1982 when there was no GPS, you know, there was no cell phones. Uh, so it was, you know, the Rand McNally maps folded up, in the, you know, and, you know, you, you did the best you could, which was pretty good for the day and time. But, you know, estimating that I'd get there, you know, sometime the afternoon of whatever day it was. And when I got there, my grandfather was out front, you know, waiting for us to pull in. And they told me that my grandfather had, and this is like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, that my grandfather had sat out front on the bench all afternoon because I told him I'd be there in the afternoon. And he was waiting for me to arrive. He didn't know what time I was going to get there. You know, he just knew I was coming. And, you know, I told him what day it was, but I was with Jesus. We don't know the day and time. But I always use that as an example. He was expecting you know, he could have gone inside, well, you know, when he gets here, he's just going to ring the bell anyway, and I'll let him in. I mean, he could have gone inside, but instead he sat there because he was expecting me to arrive. And that's the same attitude we need to have about Jesus. You may not know the exact moment, but you know he said he's going to be here, and that's what we need to be waiting for. That's an excellent illustration, and it perfectly defines what Jesus called all Christians to do in Matthew 24, 44. He, he commanded, therefore, you also be ready, yeah. for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And we do not know when the rapture will be happen. We can't date set it. We can't figure it out. But he did give us the signs of the times to let us know when 
the general time period it was coming, the season of the, or the age, so to speak, and we're clearly living in that age now. Yeah, amen, amen. Nathan, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk to you about your book, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets. Now, you co-authored this book with Steve Howell. First, why a book on the Minor Prophets? Well, uh, I'm on the second floor here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, and at the top of the stairs, I pass by every day this tiny little three-foot door, and before my time, someone had put a little cutesy label on the top of the door that said, Minor Prophets. And that's where we store the Minor Prophets in that little door. And I walk by that door every day, and I'm like, Minor pro- I wonder what's behind that door. And it took a, a, some time, but I finally peeked into that door and realized it was an attic. It was uh, not used. It was dusty. It was dirty. And, and, and it just kind of like a light bulb popped over my head. I'm like, you know what? Most people think about the Minor Prophets in the same way. They think that it's a, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are the attic of the Bible. It's dusty, it's dingy, it's not worth going in or looking in. And I thought, oh my goodness, they're missing on so much, because yeah. the minor prophets are rich, not only in Bible prophecy, but each of the 12 men had their faith challenged. They had their yeah. faith challenged by peer pressure and by government and by persecution and suffering and all these things. And well, the lessons they learned are relevant to us today. So a good friend of mine, Pastor Steve Howell, we served together at Southeast Christian Church, and then he moved on to a church in Kansas, and we wrote it together. And we wanted to bring the minor prophets back to life, yeah. to take them out of the attic, so, so to speak, Amen. and get people excited about those books. Amen. And each, each section, it's not that long, you know, somewhere four or five pages long, but, you know, I, I just love the format of the book. You know, you got the brief introduction, which I always thought that was the best. It was like a semi-fictional, though cultural-based view, and, and it just captures the attention of the reader and puts you right there in the scene. You know, you can almost smell and feel and, and sense the surroundings. I mean, it was awesome. It's an awesome book. Yeah. And how did you come up with that type of format? Uh, we were actually interviewing Carl Gallops. Uh, he was out here for an episode of Christ and Prophecy, and we were putting the book together, and I'd done the first chapter on Amos, and it was a theological slog. And I'd had a few people read it, and they were like, uh... And so I was, I was driving Carl back to the airport. I'm like, Carl, the, the, I'm just not getting the right formula. And he says, why, since the minor prophets are very short on details about their lives, there's hints, but, you know, it doesn't explain them as people, unlike, say, Jonah... Uh, why don't you start with a historical fiction story, then lead them into the events that are uh, the historical events of the time, and then get into the applications of the lesson? And I'm like, brilliant. And then he jumped out of the car and, and got in the plane. <laughs> so I, I talked with Steve, and uh, he and I agreed that we needed to help people, because everyone has different learning styles, and some people need story. So we made these three, four-page fictional stories mm-hmm. of each of these authors, based on the clues that the book gave us about their lives, hoping to help people connect to these prophets. Yeah, amen. It's an awesome format. Matter of fact, uh, I wrote a book called Blind Faith, and from John chapter 9, it's a story about the blind guy, you know, that Jesus put mud on his eyes. Oh, and wow. it's told okay. from the blind guy's perspective, right? Uh, nice. the, the entire book, and, you know, about, you know, he'd born blind, so he'd heard all the questions and the comments and all that, and and he, you know, the blind guys probably knew each other uh, at some point in time, you know, because they all hung out at, at the temple asking for offerings and stuff. And he'd heard, you know, like Bartimaeus got healed, some other guys got healed, you know, and he's, you know, the family would drop him off at the gate, ask, you know, okay, your job, 
is to ask for offerings. You know, you, life's not free. You got to contribute somehow. And he probably heard about this Jesus guy and he said, you know, take me to Jesus. He's healing blind people. And I don't have time to take off work and to take you over to sit all day. You know, that guy talks all day long. You know, I don't have time for that. And you don't even know if he's going to heal you, you know. And so he you know, wouldn't have anybody take him. And here's this commotion coming. And here's a comment, you know, who sinned, you know, the parents or him that he was born blind. And here's the Jesus response. You know, he didn't sin. This is for the glory of God. And he's probably Amen. contemplating. Haven't heard that one before. That's interesting. And about that time, somebody's putting mud on us. Now, if it was me, I'd have come up swinging. Right? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I said, it's relax. It's Jesus. Jesus, the Jesus. Yeah. But then Jesus told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, from where that happened, there was a pool right around the corner. Siloam was over on the other side of town, the other entrance. So he had to, he had nobody take him over there. So the story is how he had to go by faith, walk by faith, all the way across town with nobody helping. He'd you know, take half a dozen steps. Which way? Which way do I go? How do I get there? And when he gets over to the pool, you know, he's not allowed in there. You know, nobody, no people with disfigurements were allowed in the temple area. Okay. So he's standing in line. To, you know, the pool is just basically a ceremonial baptism thing. And he's standing in line. He's being quizzed. What are you doing here? What's that on your face? You know? And he's having to retell that story, which is cementing, you know, building his faith. And they're laughing at him, mocking at him, you know, making fun of him. But when it came to his turn to dip in the pool, I can bet every neck in that place is just cranked around the corners to see what's going to happen. Absolutely. And he goes under the water, and he washes that off, and he comes up, and for the first time he opens his eyes and sees that big, beautiful blue sky with a temple, you know, all the surroundings of And he lets out such a whoop, it caused such a stir, the temple police had to come in to see what's going on, right? And, you know, we know the rest of the story. They pulled him up in front of the, the Sanhedrin, you know, the council, because they have to verify the miracle and all that, and they quiz them. And when he starts testifying about Jesus, he got his eyesight back and excommunicated all in a couple hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. So that's what the book was. And it won an award, a literary award, about three months really? after I wrote it. Yeah. And, uh, Fantastic. So that's awesome. But, uh, so look but, it up. Yeah. It's, it's the same kind of blind faith, how to receive what you cannot see. And, uh, blind faith. I, I will definitely yeah. look that up. But uh, yeah, but when I was reading your book, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is cool." I had to. It took me a whole book to to write it, and they're doing it in little simple sections. It, 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 but folks, really. Nathan's book, it just puts you in that setting. Each one of these prophets, and it's, I've used, I have it sitting right here on my desk, right here, because I use it every time I get ready to prep a sermon. There's some quote or some some reference that I can use in there. It's that good. I mean, it's really a great book, Nathan. Praise the Lord. It was a lot of fun to write, and it's been on Amazon now and on our own website, uh, our Bible Prophecy Resources section of ChristinProphecy.org. Mm -hmm. And yep. it's done very well, and a lot of churches have picked it up. So yeah, thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, and some of these prophets, as you said, they're not well known as the other major Bible characters. You know, they were, but they were really instrumental and used by God to achieve you know rather important things. I mean, they were bold in their faith. They would go up, just walk right up and confront kings and rulers when nobody else would. You know, Jonah was that's one of my favorite stories. He was sent to a major city to turn them around and repent. You know, he he took the long way of getting there, but he eventually made it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. 
But what's great is that Jonah wrote the book, so he, and this is a, the chap, one of the chapters that my co-author Steve wrote, but he brought a point I'd never thought of before, and one of those aha moments you said, is that <laughs> Jonah wrote about the fact that he was a jerk, and that he, <laughs> and, and, and what he learned. He, and so you know that post-writing the book, he had kind of finally accept God's grace yeah. and mercy on the Ninevites, and uh, that, that, what a lesson to learn there. Amen, amen. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here now. All right. Okay. Uh, or on the hot seat, as you and Dr. Reagan refer to it on the television program. Uh, other than the Bible, what book are you reading right now? What book am I reading right now? I'm reading Ron Rhodes' book called The Challenge of the Cults. It's one mm. of his older books, but uh, it just seems lately I've been inundated by the cults writing us and, and trying mm. to make their claims justified. And I realized that though wow. I've studied the cults in the past, I needed a good refresher. And mm. Ron Rhodes, we've had him on our. TV show many times. Matter of fact, he was one of the speakers at our conference this yeah. month, and he writes many, many, over 80 books. And I recommend, highly recommend any of his books, but particularly I'm reading The Challenge of the Cults. Amen. Amen. Well, Nathan, I could talk to you for hours, man. I mean, this is, I'm just, yeah, me it. too. And I enjoy Bible prophecy and absolutely enjoy Lamb and Lions Christ and Prophecy program and all the work Good. you and the staff at your ministry is doing for the body of Christ. I appreciate everything you guys do. Well, thank you. You too. We're all. Servants of the Lord, anxious for him to return, and finally say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. If someone wanted to reach out to you, ask a question, get some resources, how can they do that? How can they get in touch with you? Our website, ChristinProphecy.org, is uh, the best way to reach me. Amen. Well, thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to visit with us here today. I do appreciate it. I believe our listeners have a clearer understanding of the day and time in which we live and how uh, Lamb and Lion Ministries is helping to give people an understanding of that. And, and I believe that they also have now a little better sense that the soon return of Jesus is imminent. So thank you for coming on the program today, Nathan. Thank you, Pastor Bob. It's been my pleasure. Amen. Folks, I truly encourage you to go to Lamb and Lion Ministries' website at ChristinProphecy.org. Take a look around. I mean, you won't believe the amount of resources that are available on that website. Information, books, videos, blog posts. Uh, Dr. Dave Reagan has been doing this for quite some time, and there is so much information he's authored, and it's available on that website. In addition, they're not shy about promoting other Bible prophecy experts' works either. I mean, you'll find information on there from several major prophecy ministry experts, and, and including Nathan Jones. Amen. And, and I highly, highly, highly recommend you get his book, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, because like I said, I have this book on my desk. I use it regularly as I'm preparing for teaching, and the information is truly awesome. So thank you for putting all that out there for us, Nathan. We do appreciate it. Amen. Amen. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. For Nathan Jones and myself, uh, Nathan from Lamb and Lion Ministries, and myself, this is Pastor Bob Thibodeau reminding you to be blessed in all that you do.